Good morning, First Free. It's a joy to be with you again as we open up God's Word. Would you please turn to Matthew 24, verse 36? That's where our passage is going to be this morning. I want to open with a question. How many of you have heard advice, maybe on Facebook or on TV, about living in the present? Don't worry about the past. Don't look to the future. Just live in the present. Who's heard that? Raise your hand. Good number of us. Well, often this is well-meaning advice meant to keep us from excess worry or for being stuck in past hurts. In reality, none of us really live this way. We all live in certain ways in the present in light of what's to come in the future. This can look like really mundane, everyday things like putting money in the bank for a rainy day or paying your insurance premiums. It can also look a more, more serious, gathering supplies in case of an emergency. We all live in certain ways now in light of what we expect may come in the future. Last week, we saw Jesus teaching his disciples about a sure and certain future reality, more certain even than death and taxes, and that is this, Jesus will return. That is a glorious truth. That is our great hope. This morning, we're going to come to the second part of the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus shows us the practical implications for us now. He teaches us that he will return, but we don't know when, and so we need to stay awake. Jesus will return, but we don't know when, so we need to stay awake. Our passage this morning begins with direct teaching from Jesus. We're going to read that together. And then he shows us what it looks like to stay awake through three stories, which we'll treat as we go. So would you please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word from Matthew 24, verse 36 through 44. Jesus, our Lord, says this, But concerning that day and hour, referring to his return, no one knows not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus begins right out the gate with the truth that he will return. It's sure you can take it to the bank, but we don't know when he will return. It says, verse 36, But concerning that day and hour no one knows, Not even the angels, nor the Son, but the Father only. You and I don't know when Jesus will return, 
The angels don't know. The Son of Man doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. And yet this sure and certain return is a reality. It will come. And we need, as Jesus says, to stay ready. He compares it to the flood of Noah's day in the book of Genesis. In Noah's day, he'd warned the people that one day God would come and would bring a flood of judgment on the wickedness on the earth. But up until the day that the flood came, people went about their everyday lives. Jesus says right up until the end, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, going about their everyday business. And so many were not ready when the flood came. And so they were swept away. Jesus says it will be the same on the day that he returns. He says in that day, there will be two co-workers in the field, maybe even in the same combine. They're in the field. Jesus comes back. One is taken. The other is left. He says two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Jesus' return will catch many off guard, will catch many flat-footed. And the dividing line between who is prepared and who is unprepared, between who falls under judgment and who does not, will cut between co-workers, will cut between family members, will cut right down the middle. And so Jesus says, verse 42, we need to stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. This is Jesus' central call for us in this passage. Stay awake. It's repeated again in verse 13 of chapter 25. Jesus tells us that his return will come at a day that we do not expect, at an hour that we can't set our watch to. He compares it to a homeowner. He says if you're a homeowner and you know someone's coming to rob your home, but you know when they're coming, you can get ready. You can set your alarm for midnight, can polish your shotgun, and you're ready, right? But Jesus says when he returns, it won't be like that. We won't know the day and the hour. We can't set a notification in our phones. We can't get ready in advance last minute. It's not like the dentist where you know when the appointment's coming up and you can make sure to really brush and floss a couple weeks in advance. Jesus will come back and we don't know when. And so we all need to stay awake, to stay prepared, to stay vigilant. Jesus is coming back. He will return, but we don't know when. So we need to stay awake. But you might ask, okay, that makes sense so far, I'm tracking, but what does it mean to stay awake? What does that look like? Does that mean I read the newspaper really closely and compare it to current events to see whether we're on the cusp of Jesus' returning? Does that mean I need to stockpile a lot of supplies in my home in case Jesus returns and everything goes crazy? Maybe, I don't know. But I think Jesus in these passages shows us what staying awake really looks like through three stories. And there we see that Jesus calls us to stay awake. And to stay awake means we need to stay faithful, to stay prepared, and to stay invested. To stay faithful, to stay prepared, 
to stay invested. And Jesus makes clear that if we do these things, if we stay awake, if we stay faithful, if we stay prepared, if we stay invested, that we will receive blessing. We will be welcomed into the joy of the Master. We will sit down and eat at the wedding feast of the Lamb. But if we do not stay awake, if we do not stay faithful, if we do not stay prepared, if we do not stay invested, that we will come under judgment. Jesus presents us this first reality that to stay awake means we need to stay faithful in verses 45 through 51. This first story is a study in contrasts. There's one faithful servant and one unfaithful servant. Listen to Jesus' words in verses 45 to 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus presents a contrast, a faithful servant and a wicked servant. The faithful and wise servant is faithful to the responsibilities he's been given by God. The master is going away on a long journey, and he says, Servant, I want you to take care of my household. I want you to feed the other servants, make sure things are running, care for my assets. I want you to feed and take care of everything. I want you to do that until I come back. Jesus says that if that servant is found doing those things, when the master returns, he will be blessed. It reminds me a little bit of my own experience working in a restaurant. Some of you have done that. The restaurant that I worked in, the management would occasionally send people, they weren't identified, we didn't know in advance, to visit the restaurant and then report on the quality of the service, the quality of the food. It was good for us, you could get a promotion even, if that person said, I came and Dirk was greeting me at the door, or whomever fed me well, or they gave me good service. But you couldn't fake it. You didn't know who they were. You were either ready or you weren't. When the master comes, when Jesus returns, may he find us doing what he has called us to do. May he find us faithfully caring for one another and attending to the master's household. You see, though Jesus has ascended to the Father in heaven, though he has not returned yet, he's given us a job to do. Earlier in Matthew 24, he speaks of how the gospel is to be proclaimed to all nations, and then the end will come. At the end of Matthew's gospel, in the Great Commission, he calls us to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all Christ has commanded us. We have been given a job to do, a responsibility to fulfill while we wait for Jesus' return. And Jesus says that when he returns, if he finds us faithfully doing that, attending to the master's household, that we will be blessed. In fact, the faithful servant gets a promotion. 
his faithfulness with this leads to him being set over all the master's possessions. Friends, we must stay faithful until Christ returns. And if we do, there is great blessing for us. Yet Jesus also presents a warning. There is an alternative path that we may take. A path that leads not to blessing, but to judgment. In contrast to the faithful servant, we're shown a wicked servant. This wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. He, like the faithful servant, has been given the same job. He's to feed the other servants. He's to attend to the master's assets, to his household. And he doesn't immediately start abandoning his responsibilities. It's only after a delay when it seems like the master's been gone a long time and that he might not be coming back anytime soon, that he begins to abandon his responsibilities. Days turn to weeks. Weeks turn to months. Months turn to years. And the servant says, I wonder if the master's really coming back. He seems delayed. Even if he does come back, it probably won't be anytime soon. And so he begins to beat the fellow servants rather than feed them. He begins to abandon his responsibilities and go party with his friends. And he thinks he can get away with this because he doesn't expect the master to come back. I think often when we hear about Jesus returning at a day we don't know, we expect that the primary danger is that he'll come back before we have a chance to get ready. But here we see that the unfaithful servant's problem isn't that he didn't have enough time. It's that he didn't stay faithful over time. It was the very fact of the master's seeming delay that led him to unfaithfulness. He thinks the master isn't going to come back anytime soon, and so he begins to abuse his fellow servants. And not just abuse the fellow servants, in so doing, he's disobeying the master. But Jesus is clear. The servant does not get away with this. Jesus will come back. And the master of that servant, he says, will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. And when the master comes back, finding this unfaithful servant smashed with his buddies after a long day of drinking and beating the fellow servants, he does not bless him. He does not set him over all his possessions. Instead, we're told he'll cut him in pieces and cast him into hell, put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus' words here are clear and they're sobering. If Jesus comes back and finds us abusing each other, neglecting the responsibilities he has called us to, he will not welcome us with open arms. In fact, he will cast us out. So where is your life at right now? If Jesus came back, will he find you faithfully attending to the master's responsibilities that he's given you? Or will he find you neglecting them? Will he bless you and promote you? Or will he cut you to pieces and cast you out with the hypocrites? My prayer is that each of us this morning would hear, blessed are you for doing the work I've called you to do. But I also fear that perhaps for some in this room, we may receive the opposite response. Jesus will return. We don't know when. Therefore, we need to stay awake. 
And that means we need to stay faithful. But it's not just a call to stay faithful. Jesus' call to stay awake encompasses more than that. He also calls us to stay prepared. We see this in the second story in verses 1 through 13, which, like the first, is a study in contrasts. This time between five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. Like the first story, the wise receive a blessing. They're welcomed in to the wedding feast while the foolish are shut out. We read this, Jesus says, Then, that is when he returns, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Or as it's translated, the same phrase earlier in the passage, Stay awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus here shows us that to stay awake means that we need to stay prepared. There are two groups, the wise bridesmaids and the foolish bridesmaids. And the difference that separates them is that the wise bridesmaids prepare for a possible delay, while the foolish do not. The wise bridesmaids settle in at the beginning for what may be a long wait on the bridegroom, while the foolish bridesmaids Do not. We see that the bridegroom comes after both groups have fallen asleep, but one group is ready. As in weddings today, often weddings then got delayed. Things got behind schedule. And so a wise bridesmaid would prepare for her responsibilities of escorting the bridegroom by torchlight to the bridesmaid's home. A wise bridesmaid would know there might be a delay And so they would bring back up oil to ensure their lamps were lit. Yet the foolish bridesmaids in this story do no such thing. They fail to prepare for a long wait, for a delay in the bridegroom's coming. They fail to bring back up oil. They fail to count the cost of long-term preparation. Jesus here is telling us that there may be a delay before he comes. He will return, but we don't know when. And so we need to settle in our minds that we are going to do whatever it takes, at whatever cost it takes, for as long as it takes, to ensure we are ready when he returns. You see, friends, he will return. And when he returns, you won't be able to count on others' preparedness for yourself. 
You won't be able to get an oil loan from your friends or your fellow church attenders. You won't be able to rely on others when Jesus returns. You will either be prepared or you will not. You will either be ready when he comes or you will not. And when he comes, you won't have time at the last minute to get ready. The foolish virgins try to run to the oil merchant and get back in time to meet the bridegroom, but they're too late. They try to borrow oil from the wise virgins, but there's not enough oil to go around. When Jesus returns, we will either be prepared or we will not be prepared. And Jesus makes clear that our preparation needs to be for as long as it takes. There's this tragic scene at the end of the passage. There's a glory. The wise virgins, the prepared ones, enter in with the bridegroom to the wedding feast. This is language you've seen all through the book of Matthew about the blessing that will come when Christ returns. Yet the foolish virgins, those who did not prepare for faithfulness over the long haul, even though they plead to be let back in, Lord, Lord, open to us. He answers, truly I say to you, I do not know you. And so he calls us to stay awake, for we know neither the day nor the hour. My prayer, my plea to God is that each of us in this room will be prepared, that we will enter into the wedding feast of the Lamb where we will rejoice with him forever. But there's a very real danger that if we do not count the cost of long-term faithfulness for as long as it takes, as costly as it is, that we may hear, truly I say to you, I do not know you. I hope none of us on the final day hear that from Jesus. Jesus will return, but we don't know when. Therefore, we need to stay awake. We need to stay faithful. We need to stay prepared. And in our final section, we see that we also need to stay invested. Jesus says this in verses 14 through 30. And note again the similarities with the first two stories. We'll see a contrast between two invested servants who go about their master's business and a lazy servant. And we'll see that the two faithful servants, the invested servants, are welcomed into the joy of the master, while the final lazy, wicked servant is not. Jesus says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, 
I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus shows us here that we are to stay invested. As I said earlier, Jesus has ascended to the Father, and he will return one day, and he has called us to pursue a mission in the meantime. We've been given work to do. We've been entrusted with responsibilities. Not all of us have been given the same responsibilities. Not all of us are entrusted with the same number of talents. Note here, one is given five, one's given two, one's given one. We all have different giftings, different resources, different abilities that God has given us. And what's important is not so much the return on investment that we get with those. It's that we faithfully be pursuing what God has called us to do. Note the response of the first two servants. We're told that the one with five talents went at once and traded with them. He's been entrusted with work to do, with a responsibility before the master. And so when the master leaves for this long trip, he immediately goes and diligently begins investing for the sake of the master. He's faithful. He's working hard. He immediately pursues that which God has called us to do. And the same thing happens with the second servant. He presents his two talents back to the master with two additional talents, just as the first servant was given five and gave five back. They're being faithful in proportion to what God has entrusted to them. They're working hard, investing in the work that the master has given them to do. Friends, we have been given a call to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to all nations, to go and make disciples of all peoples. And that won't look the same for each of us. Some of us will have five talents, some will have two. But what we are called to do is to faithfully invest ourselves and what God has entrusted to us for his glory, whatever that looks like in our lives. We are called to be faithful. And Jesus, as in the first story, is clear that if we are faithful, when he returns, we will present what we have done to the master, and we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. If we are faithful to the work that Christ has given us, we have great joy ahead. We have a great hope. We have reason to rejoice at his return. And so we should strive to diligently work at what God has called us to do, 
to invest ourselves and our lives for the sake of the gospel. And yet there's a warning here as well. As in the first two stories, he ends on a warning. Jesus says there's a danger that we might become, that we might be lazy and fail to pursue what we're called to pursue. The final servant, when the master is gone on the long trip, takes the least effort possible. He takes the easy road. He takes the master's talent and he buries it in the ground. This was the ancient equivalent of keeping money under your mattress. It was low risk, but it was also low reward. Required very little effort on the servant's part. I believe this, this laziness, this unwillingness to exert himself on behalf of the master, this taking the quickest path to check off the box of his responsibilities before then doing whatever else he wanted to do in the master's absence is the primary reason that the master is angry with him. Notice in verse 26, the master addresses him, you wicked and slothful servant, you wicked and lazy servant. This servant is not immediately going out and investing the talents for the good of the master. He is not applying himself to the work he is being called to do. Instead, he's taking the bare minimum of effort he needs to do so as not to lose the master's investment so he can check off the box and go about his day. The servant, when the master returns, presents excuses He says, I knew you were really greedy, master. I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And because I think you're really greedy, I wanted to make sure I didn't lose your investment. So I buried it in the ground, and here it is. You have it back. I met my end of the bargain. You've got your talent back, master. But the master makes clear that this isn't really what's going on. It's really that he's being lazy. You lazy and slothful servant. He makes clear that this fear or greed allegation isn't really what's going on. He says, if I'm really so greedy, if you really think that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed, surely you would have done a better job of making sure I'd be happy when I get back. Surely you would have at least invested my money with the bankers where it would get some interest, where it wouldn't be destroyed by inflation. He says, if you were really so concerned about my greed you would have taken different steps. No, that's not really what's going on. You're just lazy. That's what the master is saying to this servant. Friends, there is a very real danger that we just try to do the bare minimum to check the box, to say that, you know, I've met my obligations to God. Maybe I give a little bit to the church. Maybe I uh, give a little bit of my time and God will be pleased with me when he comes back. Jesus says here that that doesn't cut it. That's not acceptable. We are called to stay invested in the work God has called us to do. And when Jesus returns, if we are found to have taken the lazy way, if we have been found to not exert ourselves faithfully in behalf of the master's interests, we will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We will not hear, enter into the joy of the master. Instead, we see that that servant is disinherited. He's removed. He's cast out with the hypocrites into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Jesus will return. We don't know when. He calls us to stay faithful. He calls us to stay prepared. He calls us to stay invested until he returns. And if we do those things, there is great joy ahead. We will be blessed. We will be promoted. We will enter into the wedding feast of the Lamb. We will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Master. May that be our goal. May that be what we set our sights on. And may it lead us to stay awake until Christ returns. But there's also a danger that we may fall asleep instead of staying awake, that we may wickedly abandon our responsibilities rather than staying faithful, that we may be unprepared, we may not count the cost of faithful living, and that we may not invest ourselves in the work the Master has called us to do. And if that's the route we take, Jesus makes clear there are serious consequences. This is a sobering passage. It's a hard passage to read. It's a serious passage. But these are Jesus' words. These are the words of our Lord. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we look at our own hearts, at least when I look at my heart, I question how can I possibly do this? How can I meet these calls from Jesus? And the reality is that if we just rely on ourselves, if we just try to white-knuckle it, and grit our way out through our own strength, we won't be faithful. We won't do and be what God wants us to do and to be. We need his help. We need him to work in us by his spirit to keep us awake, to keep us faithful, to keep us prepared, to keep us invested. We are called to exert ourselves, to stay awake, to work hard, to invest in the work God has called us to do. And we should do so trusting, hoping, asking God to keep us, to preserve us even as we persevere to the end. My prayer is that when we read these passages that we will take them seriously, but that they won't lead us to being crushed under the weight of the warnings, under the seriousness of the call. That instead they would point us back to Christ, that we would cast ourselves on the mercy of God and entrust ourselves to the one who is faithful. He who has begun a good work in us is able to bring it to completion. He is able to bring about what is good and pleasing in his sight in our lives. So as we consider Jesus's words, let us take them seriously. Let us exert ourselves until he returns and let us cast ourselves on his mercy trusting in him to do that which we cannot do in and of ourselves. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the glorious truth that Jesus, our Lord, will return. We ask that you would keep us awake until he returns, that you would keep us faithful to what you call us to do, that you would keep us prepared for as long of a wait as it may be, that you would keep us invested in the work that you have for us to do. Pray that you would keep us from unfaithfulness, from foolish unpreparedness, from laziness. 
Would you work in us by your spirit and you would, would you bring us to you on the final day? Would you make us holy in your sight? And would you cause us to be good and faithful? Would we hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master? We cannot do this ourselves. We need your help. So we ask that you would make our lives pleasing in your sight as your servants. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our risen, reigning, and returning Lord. Amen.